this was something truly communal like a television and we were playing interactive games around it like we and it could sit we didn't even have it in the center of the room for example it sat on our, our kitchen cabinet but we were able to have fun and do things together as a family using the uh, interactive voice technology device. As a mother, I found that fascinating. And as a doctor, I really appreciated the fact that there is a way of interacting that didn't involve sitting in front of a screen. Hello, everyone. This is Bassem, producer of the show, welcoming you back to Wise Words, where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. We hope you're staying safe and healthy and delighted that you've joined us for another discussion on the show. This episode you're listening to was the first edition of Wise Words Live, which was broadcasted on April 8th, 2020 on Facebook. We're looking to continue streaming the podcast live, so if you want to stay up to date, be sure to follow us on our social media channels linked in the description. In a few moments, Stavros Yanuka, CEO of Wise and host of Wise Words, will be joined by Aparna Ramanathan, CEO and co-founder of Ask My Class. Together, they discuss how schools can adapt to remote learning, the potential of audio tools for the classroom, and keeping kids active and learning from home. We hope you find the conversation interesting, and if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And as always, we welcome your feedback through our various social media channels. Well, hello, everyone. This is uh, Stavros Yanuka, the chief executive of WISE. Our guest today is Aprana Ramanathan, who is the founder and CEO of Ask My Class, focusing on accessible mental health support. Before starting this company, Aparna worked for 11 years as a medical doctor in Australia. And no surprises, one of the things that we will be talking about is uh, mental health during the COVID-19 crisis uh, that most of us are living through as we speak. Uh, Aparna, let me just start by welcoming you to the Wise Words podcast and just asking you to uh, briefly introduce yourself to our audience. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, So yeah, as you'd mentioned, I'm a medical doctor and uh, turned ed tech founder after I started putting mental health activities onto Alexa for families and then later for the classroom. So what came out of that product is what's called Ask My Class. So it's a learning assistant on Alexa. We've continued to keep that mental health support, activities support on Alexa, but we've also added in academic learning games and activities in the classroom to help with energy and focus management. So that actually comes into a lot of play, including when we we then now moving to the home learning to keep be able to keep uh, kids engaged and focused. Um, and so with the school-wide shutdown um, that we're experiencing almost around the world now, we've actually created a home-based product called Ask My Kid. And we're taking a slightly different approach there where we're creating voice channels on Alexa and also you can be heard on the web that have um, expert content by teachers. For example, you would have, say for the older kids, a daily STEM challenge. And we're continuing the mental health support through those channels as well. So we'll have mindfulness channels, uh, brain breaks channels, because we are now having kids uh, sitting in front of screens for longer periods of time 
time than they used to. Uh, so, yeah, so there's a, the range of channels that we've put on there and we've added a feature where children can hear their teachers' voices as recorded voice messages that teachers can send either to the whole class or to individual students because one of the things we're finding is that with that lack of classroom contact, hearing the teacher's voice, even if it's asynchronous, has been a huge part of um, helping to calm kids' anxieties around these um, really unusual times that we're in. And if, if you don't mind me asking, what prompted you to sort of focus on mental health specifically as an area for education? So I've always had an interest in mental health, even during my medical training. But one of the things I've learned is that a child won't learn anything until they feel like they're in a safe space to learn. Uh, so it doesn't matter how high quality education you throw at a child if they are not in, don't have the receptive capacity either because they feel unsafe or they are struggling with anxiety or depression. Those are the factors that come first. And one of the things I'm finding really interesting at the moment is there has been a lot of tragedy that has come out of what's happening in the with the worldwide pandemic. But one of the silver linings that I'm seeing is that there is a shift, as particularly a lot of teachers are finding, that there is a shift now where we're really truly considering the whole child. Because the very first question that's on parents and teachers' minds first thing in the morning is, how are they feeling? How are they doing? Do they feel um, in a space that they are, you know, do they need to talk through any issues first before we're actually trying to teach them things? So that's actually been a really positive shift that's come out of what's going on now. And so, so that's uh, just an example of why I, I've always had this interest in mental health and an interest in bringing that to the forefront in education. That's great. So how, how are you seeing the, the current pandemic? Maybe actually let's, let's back up a little bit and, and, and just maybe let's explain to the audience a little bit what Ask My Class is and does and then tell me a little bit about how the current environment has, has impacted your work. So Ask My Class, uh, they are audio activities that are available on tab through the Alexa smart speaker. So I'll give you an example from that last bucket I was talking about with energy and focus management. Mm -hmm. So for example, when um, children come back in from recess, it takes an average of six minutes for kids to get refocused and ready to learn. That doesn't sound like a long time, but in an elementary classroom, you can have up to 17 moments of transition like that. So that's mm. a lot of wasted learning minutes. So instead yeah. a teacher can turn to their Alexa speaker and say, ask my class to calm down and it'll play a two minute audio guided audio activity. It's follow along. It involves like kinesthetic movement and then um, breathing and calming. It's done in two minutes. And so it, it has the kids settled uh, three times faster. And so over a period of a day, a week, you end up getting back those vital learning minutes. So that's an example of some of the activities that we have on Ask My Class. We also have social emotional activities to help children to work through social skills scenarios, practice focus techniques with mindfulness. And then we have small group learning practice. So things like math, math uh, word problems and prompts that, that children use in, in their small group rotations. So, so that's the classroom product. And obviously with the school-wide closures, there is a now having to be a change in the way we think mm -hmm. about this product through Alexa. Luckily, actually, there is in the US about 150 million households with Alexa smart speakers. 
um, that are, for the most part, these smart speakers are just being used for asking the weather and, you know, playing some music. They could be an excellent source of screen-free learning. And that's why we decided to create these expert content channels from teachers Mm -hmm. that allows for Mm -hmm. children to ask for, say, a challenge question of the day um, or indeed continue that um, social-emotional learning through our focus activities like mindfulness and, you know, continuing the social skills. We have one called Big Conversations That's how that helps a parent through scaffolded questions have a conversation with their child about what's happening at the moment. So that's how we've, we've had to uh, pivot and iterate. But in a way, I think it can still be used in a positive way to, again, I think a big emphasis is on screen-free because a lot of parents are finding that just of necessity, a lot of the materials that have been delivered are coming through a computer screen. I haven't seen it in my own kids. I have a middle schooler and high schooler and they don't have the same amount of physical activity going on. Even between uh, block periods, they would normally be standing up, walking, going up and down stairs. That's not happening at the moment. And so when you can introduce other forms of learning that can be asynchronous or that can be uh, delivered through audio, that could uh, greatly facilitate just a, a, a different learning modality and style that helps with that. Um, Say a little bit about why, you know, from your perspective, you, you've emphasized screen-free a couple of times. Uh, and we've, we've had, you know, conversations on this podcast where, you know, we've had experts that have pointed out that too much time on screens isn't always conducive to learning. Say a little bit about what, you know, again, what prompted you to, to go down the, the path of audio as, as opposed to screen-based teaching assistants. There was, there was a couple of reasons why we decided to go down the path of audio learning and particularly through interactive voice assistance. Having said that, we know that not everyone has an Alexa, so we do actually still offer the audio on a web page, but what's important is we keep the web page as simple as possible, almost like the Google homepage, so that it really still becomes about the audio experience and not about looking at a screen. But I think I first started to think about this when we got an our first Amazon Echo speaker about five years ago. For me, it was just something cool that we were just going to experiment with. I'd never thought that I was going to develop anything on it. But what I found was it was this incredibly new way of bringing technology into our household. We suddenly had this device that was truly communal. So most people will have their smartphone, their iPad, and it's very one-to-one. This was something truly communal like a television. And we were playing interactive games around it. Like we, and it could sit, we didn't even have it in the center of the room, for example. It sat on our, our kitchen cabinet, but we were able to have fun and do things together as a family using the uh, interactive voice technology device. And as a mother, I found that fascinating. And as a doctor, I really appreciated the fact that there is a way of interacting that didn't involve us sitting in front of a screen. The other thing is that it um, it's hands-free is the other part of it. So besides being screen-free and hands-free, I found for Say if you're a mother of young children, you often have your hands full. The other place where you have your hands full is in in our teachers in the um, classroom. And so for them to be able to request things on command from wherever they are in a room, I think that that delivers an enormous amount of power. 
So I, I focus in on basically screen-free, but also I like the, the hands-free component and I like the component of it not, of being able to be like an enabling tool that actually facilitates collaboration and eye contact as opposed to taking it away when you're both looking at an iPad together. That's really interesting. And, and most of your customers or your user base are teachers, essentially. I mean, this is a tool for the teacher in the classroom. That's right. Talk to us a little bit about the uh, the design process that you took in in terms of building the software and build you know building the uh, the interface. Yes, oh, it was a really interesting um, process actually because, like I said, when these devices first came out, they're consumer devices that were intended for a household. And even within a household, if you start to ask for the device for something like the weather and someone walks into the room in mid-conversation with someone else, it often disrupts the, the speaker from hearing the question. And I thought, how on earth would this work in a classroom? It's a much noisier environment. There are multiple kids. There's so many distractions. Uh, so we actually, initially, it was in that completely like curiosity mindset of, would this even work? So when we first started, we we tweeted out to one of the big ed tech conferences called ISTE here, um, tweeted out, if we were to build something on Alexa for the classroom, would you be willing to pilot it? And from that, we got 60 responses. <laughs> yeah, we'll give it a go. So so the first step was just to figure out, is this, is this technology going to be viable in this sort of background noise environment? And we spent a good part of a few months, like, so we spent a few months developing a, a, a baseline product and then released it into 20 classrooms and just figured it out what was going to work and what wasn't. And truly it was quite interesting to see um, how teachers made it work. As soon as students understood that noise is what is going to create an experience to fail, you had uh, kids uh, shushing each other. <laughs> so, so it almost helped with the yeah. classroom management to know that if we're going to use Alexa, we need to be quiet. And then the other piece that came about is, you know, where do you place it in a room so that you'll have uh, maximum efficacy with minimum interference? Um, where, like, are there other device accessories? So we always um, now suggest that uh, people get the Alexa remote because the remote is much more easy to, to have less of that background interference. So, so we learned a lot of lessons in that first pilot that we had. Then once we discovered how to use these devices effectively in a classroom environment, that's when we uh, focused in on well, what are the moments, what are the teaching moments where audio activities would be handy, what's the optimal length of time an audio activity yeah. can play while still <clears> keeping <throat> kids engaged, and what is the interaction style. So you have different styles of interaction where some are just ask and get activities. So you just hear them and follow along, whereas others are truly interactive. And in which environments do we do what? So small group learning, you can have true interactive activities, for example, practicing skip counting, whereas um, that won't work as well in a class-wide environment. So so we had, uh, it was an interesting set of pilots, but with each pilot, we framed a question and then just set out to answer that one question before we moved on to the next thing. And, and, and what's, the, what's the installed user base now that, that, you, that you have? So we have 3,000 teachers uh, that have used Ask My Class. Uh, as of a month ago, we now have <laughs> little usage in the classroom, obviously, yeah. but um, now we're moving into uh, a different Alexa skill yeah. called Ask My Kid. And so we'll, we'll see how that um, 
now plays out in the home environment, in the home learning environment. And, and do you have a, an approach or a, a way for teachers to provide feedback and, and, and input into how, presumably you do, how this iterates? And, and if so, what, you know, what are you hearing back from teachers about, about the utility of this technology? Actually, because both myself and my husband are not educators, so my background's in medicine. My husband's background is he is an engineer, marketer. He's he actually a jack of all trades where he has uh, multiple skills, um, but also a... Um, we prefer generalists. Yes, prefer <laughs> very generous. much so. <laughs> very much so. But he had a huge interest in voice assistance because when he worked at Google, um, he actually was uh, one of the early teams to work on the Google voice assistant technology on smartphones. So we actually have footage of my, um, he was then, uh, was he four-year-old son um, sitting in, the, you know, uh, with the smartphone and being the, one of the first people to use OK Google <laughs> and um, asking questions. So it was um he always had an interest in this type of voice technology, interactive voice technology, and then and with education. So he, but that's his background is is um, on on that product development side. So because neither of us are educators, we needed teachers to really be co-creators with us in the product. So during the pilots, um, we would ask teachers to identify the moments where they would like to be able to access an activity. So for the most part in the early days, it was all around brain breaks, all around stretches, uh, dance breaks, yoga, doing uh, different activities to help get kids the, the wiggles out and get them refocused. But as time went on, you would have other suggestions. So each time there was a suggestion, I think that sometimes our teachers would then realize when they make a suggestion, my next question was, so could you help me build, <laughs> could you help me build the content for that? Yeah. So I, almost, I would say 90% of our activities were teacher suggested and created on Ask My Class. And the feedback process was in any way that they they were happy to give it. So I had personally given my cell number to out to every teacher who was trying it and uh, my my direct email or it was on Twitter or whichever portal they wanted to give me feedback, they were able to let me know what worked, what didn't and other suggestions for what to build. And, and that still continues. Like we still have a good relationship with those, the early pilot teachers. And, um, and as we design new features on our product, um, they're, they're the first uh, teachers that we go to, to to test that out. What, in your experiences, have been some of the challenges that some of your teachers face with adopting and sort of introducing this, this solution to, to the classroom? The early challenges, which now by uh, like largely have resolved just due to, um, you know, improvements in development, were commands. Like, for example, and if anyone has experience with a smart speaker, you can often forget the phrase that you want to say to get to a particular thing. So it's it's different when you're asking the weather because you can ask it in multiple ways. And, and But when you are... Uh, uh, opening a skill and then trying to direct to a particular activity, that phrasing is important. So one of the biggest challenges was teachers forgetting the phrase to use to get to where they needed. So if they needed a mindfulness activity, but they just had two minutes to spare, you say, ask my class for a two-minute mindfulness. But sometimes if that if you forget the exact phrases, we have a workaround, but it may play something that's near enough, but may not have been exactly what you were looking for. So 
So some that was a that was probably one of our biggest challenges. Um, failure rate was another one. So we initially had like a ten percent failure rate, which was very high, because uh, if you have kindergarten kids sitting in front of you, they'll only let you fail once before you lose the class. Yeah. So it was very important to to get that right. So we now have. Crowd. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Terrifying. Um, so we now have like a one percent failure rate. And the reason we were able to do that is by adding as uh, many ways as possible to for our software to hear the different variations of question and be able to um, identify the activity you want and need. Uh, the other thing is um, access to uh, the activity. So uh, a classroom can be a hectic and noisy environment. Where could you get that list of phrases? We used to have them all online, all on a web page, and we realized, no, we can't expect a teacher to go to the website. So we then made like printable phrase cards because having something physically in front of you is much easier to get to. So so there were some of the initial ba- barriers and challenges. And then obviously there was the the challenge around privacy which was, you know, we're entering a technology where people were concerned about devices that were listening devices uh, in a classroom. And we spent a lot of time working around and coming up with guidelines for how to use these devices safely, how to educate teachers on um, managing their data and how to delete that data. And, um, and also uh, things like the suggestion of using the Echo remotes which is where you can keep the device on mute so that it picks up no background noise and you only it only gets what you say into the remote. So, so that were probably our two earliest challenges. And the privacy challenges um, continue as, as it's a, a healthy debate around that. And I suspect there'll be a lot of more debate around privacy and technology in general during remote learning times as well because we're now using software that's in kids' bedrooms. And not just audio, it's, it's visual. So yeah. I, I suspect that there'll be some, some continuing healthy debates on that. What, uh, I mean, maybe this is, feel free not to um, answer this question if you, if you don't want to, but what prompted you to pick Alexa and Amazon as opposed to Google or, or another platform? Yeah, yeah, that that's a great question, actually, because we first started developing in 2017, July 2017. And at that time, the Alexa platform was the platform that had the availability for third party developers to build an app. Mm, Um, Google hadn't yet released that ability. There was one other trend that was happening in the United States, which is a little different to worldwide, I think. Uh, And that was that the market share of Alexa devices compared to Google Home at that time, it was much higher for Alexa. So Mm -hmm. when teachers were being, and quite frequently it was that they were being gifted these devices at uh, Christmas time, or they were, um, you know, there were, there were large push sales and they were very cheap. And uh, so we, we just found that there was just a greater market share of Alexa devices. So that coupled with the ability to, to develop on it is why we went first. On here, you can see there is, I've got, it's a red ring, which indicates mm-hmm. it's muted. This mute button that you just press on and off, it's hard muted. So it's a, it's a physical button. So yeah. you can't override that with a software um, setting or through any other way. You have to physically unmute it. So that was actually a nice, that's going back to that privacy, privacy issue where it was nice to have that feature um, that could allay a lot of fears as to, well, because now this is just a speaker. 
this is just a speaker. I can still put things uh, like, you know, connect it to Bluetooth or I can use the remote, still use it, but it is just just a speaker. <laughs> it's not yeah. got any of the listening yeah. capability. No, very, very interesting. Yeah, obviously, as as the technology gets smarter, presumably they, you're, you're thinking ahead about what, what more you can do with it. What, what are some, some ideas that you're, uh, you're working on now, if you, can, if you can share those with us? Yeah, so we, and actually it's kind of been accelerated forward because of our thinking of when, as we've been moving into the home space, what do we want to do with this technology? So we'd had this as sort of, you know, oh, the eventual goal, but we've, we've brought it forward. And that was in essence of where where do these devices fit as a learning assistant, as a true learning assistant? So in the classroom, there's a tendency to use it to enable a better classroom flow or management or, you know, to, to fill dead minutes. But we're leaving a lot on the table there. There's a much greater potential here. And um, particularly as our lifestyles become a lot more fragmented and segmented, um, micro learning has become more and more powerful in our lives. So being able to fit in moments of learning when we have those moments mm-hmm. available. And I think audio lends itself really well to that. So could this be used for, um, you know, micro learning for adult reskilling, for example, or for just, you know, continuing your job training? Because of the, the ability for it either to be just a deliberate, like a mini podcast, or to be truly interactive, can it actually facilitate um, skills like, for example, language learning, where you could be your language practice buddy, um, which, as we know, like interactive conversation is so important for language learning. Uh, and, there, and also just for learning in general, like the more interactive and engaging you can make that, um, the, the more likely it is that that, is going, that knowledge is going to be retained by the learner. So, so this has actually been where it's now really interesting for us. So when we've been developing these voice channels for the home through Ask My Kid, still at the moment they are going to be delivering, uh, you know, bite-sized information, uh, you know, from teaching experts. But then we want to go that next step and build in that interactivity, the interactive quiz or the interactive session that actually allows for um, a deeper level of learning. So, so that's where we, we want to get to and um, of necessity we've actually started down that path quicker than we thought. Do you envision a, a future where programs like yours running on, you know, on Alexa or on the platforms could even, even replace some of what teachers are doing? I know this is probably not something you'd want to uh, uh, necessarily promote given that your your user base are are teachers but there there is a feeling in in some quarters that that you know these technologies may may replace teachers at at some point in the future what's what's your take on that yeah i think it's like where all technology fits in our lives it's to augment uh rather than to replace so Mm. a common um issue that i find teachers have is they are always short on time so in, say, in a classroom setting where you have 20 different students at 20 different levels of learning, teachers find that they would love to be able to replicate themselves to be able to work with, with all the kids, but it's just not physically possible. So in that way, could these devices be part of helping to differentiate the learning, helping a teacher be in more than two places at one time? 
And I see it a lot, even in the model of where I'm seeing with remote learning with my kids. A lot of the learning that's happening is asynchronous at the moment, but they will always need the teacher um, mm. for, you know, for parts of that learning, whether it's for clarification, whether it's for helping them to understand things in a different way, whether it's just for that pure old-fashioned emotional support that you just need, you need another human to give you that support uh, of you can do it. I think it's very different to have an Alexa voice um, encouraging you to say you can do something versus your actual teacher helping you through that that mindset shift. I don't think even in our future, 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 even as good as these machines get, I don't see a role for it um, replacing placing a teacher I just see it more for it helping to extend the powers of the teacher helping them to just have more to allow them to do for you know individual students or groups of students and um and I I think that facilitative power is what we see for all technology I mean we've even experienced it in our own like work tools where um some technology is actually hindering us and some technology is is enabling and augmenting us and I think that's what we could make it do. No, no, thanks for that. I mean, I, I, I'm inclined to agree. And in fact, uh, well, it, it's, it's, been a, it's been a few years now when we, uh, we put this question to, uh, to my son. I mean, he's, he's 19 now, but this was probably five, six years ago. And we asked him what his, what his thoughts were about the possibility of technology replacing teachers. And he, he said, look, I, I don't see it happening because, you know, yes, technology can teach you things, but it can never inspire you in a way that a good teacher can. And so, yes, unless in in a a very distant future we have, you know, we have AI that can, you know, perfectly mimic human beings, then, you know, that ability to connect emotionally, to inspire, to to support is is something that's, for the moment at least, you you know, uniquely human quality that's that's still very, very important. And just on that, if you, if if we can, you know, if if I can ask you maybe to put your your MD hat on, what are your thoughts about how teachers, you know, uh, parents who are now having to be teachers, how can you know how can they deal with, you know, with providing some of that emotional, you know, support and inspiration in in what must be quite a challenging environment at the moment. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think it's challenging as well for different parents in different ways. So I think part of what's happening with remote learning is the economic divide is uh, making things, amplifying the extent to which there can be such inequality in our system. So I think um, the lion's share of um, burden is going to the kids that um, have less means, um, less access to that support and technology and where there is a lot more stress in the household because the anxieties don't just come from a discontinuation of education or um, a removal from their usual social supports, but also from the anxiety that's playing out within the household itself. Uh, has a parent just lost a job or, you know, um, it can, so I think there is a lot of amplification of that uh, that can be quite hard. There's also like a, a divide in terms of the age group for uh, of the children that are at home learning. So I am feel, I'm fortunate. I have two kids that are independent learners because of their age. They're yeah. 13 and 15. I have a lot of friends, though, who have children that are, you know, in in kindergarten and, uh, you know, up to eighth grade and there's much less independence there. And so they do feel like they are taking on homeschooling 
as well yeah. as their regular work. And so that's an enormous stress and burden on them. But there is also a different way of thinking about it. There is, like I was saying, a mindset shift that can occur as well, where suddenly it's less about the subjects and the subject content and more about the whole child. Mm-hmm. And there's also like, there's evidence as well that you will see like my son, he spent time, he'll get his work done and submit it. But then he spent time on a software where he's creating a 3D donut with this, you know, and he's, he's, he is in the flow. You can see he's been working on this for hours. He's getting mm-hmm. it just right <laughs> on this software. And I said to him, it doesn't have any colors yet. He goes, no, that's materials that comes later, mom. He's going to continue working on it today. So there is Another element where we can see that there is a lot more passion-driven learning happening as well. But like I said, you need the means to do it. And um, I can see there is a definite economic divide that's happening, that's magnified. It's always been there. It's just amplified right now. And so from that point of view, I think the... Even the word social distancing itself has a a, a fearful element to it because you really feel like you are socially disconnected. Mm -hmm. But I'd suggest from a mental health point of view that there are, because we have like everyone, almost everyone has access to a phone and being able to get support from your community just by, you know, through text and calling and um, how are you, I think that's an enormous, a really important way as a society for us to feel like we're, yeah. we're sticking together and part of something bigger. It, it's interesting that it, it does tend to be the, the little things that start to, or, or perhaps what we used to call the little things, but, but they're actually quite, quite important. And it's moments like these that bring them into focus, like, yeah. you know, calling, you know, calling your friends, calling your parents and, yeah. and just having a, you know, five, 10 minute, you know, or even longer conversation you know, that, yeah. that uh, yeah, I mean, that, that can, can mean that, you know, physical distancing is obviously necessary at the moment, but it, it needn't translate to social distancing in the sense that, you know, we can still be social leveraging these tools that, that, you know, we have at our, at our disposal. I totally agree. Yeah. And we've also dumped a lot of the uh, traditional sources of our stress <laughs> and realized that they weren't that important to begin with. So here they've canceled the SATs. Uh, I think they're still deciding on whether or not they're canceling finals in my kids' schools, but I know other schools have canceled finals. So it's quite funny yeah. to see the things that would normally take up the lion's share of our mind, mind space or for our kids' mind space. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, <laughs> they're gone. Yeah. No. And, and, and you know, I, I, just on that, what what do you see as? I mean, do you see this this? I mean, obviously things are being cancelled now or postponed or or rescheduled. But do you see this as having potentially longer term ramifications on on how we think about education when I, when we come out of this? In other words, yes. are we just going to go back to business as usual, or do you see long term? Uh, I will hope optimistically hope that there will be longer term changes because I think that most people acknowledge that business as usual wasn't working particularly well for a lot of people. There was still a lot of stress on students. There was a lot of, like, for example, teachers suddenly free of teaching to the test, even though they're now doing remote or distance learning, that itself can be a nice shift for a teacher to, to actually be 
um, able to create lessons around, you know, the material they want to create them around and not because they're doing it to prepare these students for a test. So I see that there is a lot of potential for improvements in education and it would be sad for us to go back to normal as it was previously and not take away important lessons from this. And including things like, you know, what is what are the different styles of, of learning that we could now um, enact as a result of doing this sort of experiment? Yeah. Um, you know, where can asynchronous learning continue to play a role? Because, uh, and I know there have been forays into this for years now, like through things like the flipped classroom, but but it's it's just interesting because we're in a time where we really genuinely can experiment um, with how to learn and um, and how to engage students in a different way. That it would be a nice legacy from these moments of stress and and this this difficult time, but to be able to bring that forward and actually improve our education system. So so yeah, I can see that there would be if we. The, the reason I'd, I'd written a blog post about um, ahead of remote learning is because I see that um, moving forward, this could be used in other ways besides the way mm. that we're just doing it now. So, for example, we have um, there is um, a forward thinking district in Wisconsin called the Nina School District. And they, a year ago, started putting distance learning plans in place because of snow days. So what happens yeah. with normally, yeah, the Northeast Corridor with snow days, you know, the first few snow days are just great because they're days off. But after five snow days, they start to eat into their summer break um, because they're counted as absent days and you need to make those up. So yeah. they started actually implementing distance learning plans because they didn't want to have to eat into <clears throat> to summer break. And so th- these sort of um, remote learning and distance learning plans can actually be used for many other reasons, mm. um, for even example, like in in my state in California, that we've had two consecutive terrible fire seasons that yeah. have um, caused discontinuation of learning for um, for a lot of schools that are in those regions. And so we can we can carry this forward. The, the things that we learn now, and if we learn them and and uh, keep passing those lessons uh, between each other, I, I think that there can be a lot can be gained for for education in yeah. general moving forward well i mean just at a minimum i would think and and you know my own just very sort of anecdotal and 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 random survey of uh educational institutions suggests that um institutions that that had embedded you know distance learning or or flipped classroom learning into their curriculum have done a much better job transitioning quickly Yes. With the caveats that, that you made earlier that, that, you know, look, it depends on the age group, of course, and, and you know, the older kids, it's much easier. But, you know, at a minimum, I think if, if we want to start, you know, thinking about building resilient education systems, yes. we have to embed some of this in, into the regular schedule and not leave it as a sort of emergency backup solution. Yeah. I completely agree. In fact, it's it's one of the things I'm quite proud of from what has happened with my daughter's school is that in the next school year they released the calendar and they've already added three distance learning days uh, just as part of their reg- regular school routine. Yeah. Now, I know three distance days isn't going to be a lot, but like you said, it's enough to, like if you just need to keep practising that plan, 
um, that can be good. But, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. If you have these things as part of your system, even just components of it, then it makes the switch easier when you need to do it. And then, of course, the other the other point that you made that I think is is important is that again we're seeing that you know technology to a certain extent always and digital technologies have have sort of positioned themselves as being great levelers, you know, social levelers. But you know, it 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 never quite plays out in that way. And and in fact, as as you pointed out, inequalities have been amplified by you know access to technology familiarity with it the degree to which i mean let's 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 be honest if you have you know sort of college parents who are college graduates they're far better equipped to you know to support kids you know than than parents who you know who are not college graduates so you know figuring out how we're going to to, to not have crises like this amplify inequalities is i think another domain where perhaps you know solutions like the ones that you're putting forward can can at least help ameliorate um somewhat the uh, the divide if we can get them in the hands of you know of, of parents yes i completely agree and even to the point where i'm seeing um when districts were first told that we need to move to remote learning the very first step they needed to take was to actually do an inventory check of which students will need um, access to Wi-Fi, mm. Wi-Fi hotspots, which students will need us to loan um, iPads yeah. or, yeah. And so <clears throat> that sort of um, check I think should be a regular part of, um, I think that actually should be done as part of routine, yeah, r- routine part of the school year to actually know what students do and don't have access to. Um, mm. Not just in these emergency situations. Yeah, and I mean, again, this sort of may be anathema for um, you know maybe free market purists, but <laughs> maybe it's start to it's time to start thinking of of the the internet and as a yes. utility. It's yes. you know, yeah. it's you know, it's it's not a luxury item, or it's not you know something that one can you know choose to to be without. Um, That's true. Yes. anymore it, it is almost as important as as electricity and and I, I won't say it's quite you know at the level of water but, <laughs> but <laughs> well when like you suggest turning off the wi-fi and, and, yeah. <laughs> you can see the panic it's almost like you're taking you're cutting off the water and food supply <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i believe there's a an interesting maslow's hierarchy where someone's replaced the bottom as being wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> And then everything else, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Aparna, thank you uh, so much for uh, for joining us on uh, on Wise Words. Uh, before we close off, tell tell our listeners how they can find out more about uh, to, about your work and how can they get their hands on uh, Ask My Kids and and Ask My Class. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so at the moment, it's askmykid.com is the home based product that we're creating with the uh, teacher content channels and uh, the ability for voice messages. So while I'm saying it's for teachers to use voice messages, parents can also do the same for their kids to set them up for the day. So so that's a, an, another way to use it. So it's askmykid.com. And when we are back in the classroom, it's uh, called goaskmyclass.com. 
So um, that's how the where to find the classroom product. And also a shout out, like a, a shout out to some of the um, companies that are in, in the WISE cohort that are doing some excellent things in this space for distance learning. Like, for example, uh, Medics Academy are doing a great job with, you know, online junior doctor training and Teacherly for collaborative teacher lesson plans. So I think there's some really great resources out there yeah. that I know teachers are already probably feeling overwhelmed with <laughs> what the, what's being offered. But but there's some really great things that other EdTech companies are doing to to help uh, continue the learning. So yeah, no, and and uh, yeah, we should have we should have noted that actually you you are part of the Wise Accelerator cohort for this uh, you know this this very very uh, challenging year. Yes, um, and yes. we'll be uh, you know we'll be we'll be testing some tech solutions as well for uh, you know for for boot camps that we were planning to have uh, in person, but uh, you know we'll, right. uh, we're we're having to adapt uh, adapt as well. I know it's the entre- entrepreneurial spirit all over. <laughs> we have to adapt and uh, yeah, and survive. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, thank you again, uh, Aparna, and and uh, stay well. Thank you very much. It's nice to nice to be talking with you today. Uh, likewise, likewise. And there you have it. Many thanks to Aparna for joining us for this discussion, and thank you for tuning in. Once again, if you liked this episode, don't forget to let us know by reaching out to us on our social media channels and let us know what you think. You can find all the links for the description for that. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And looking forward to having you here next time. All the best.